Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. James chapter 4. James has been talking about a number of themes here. The power of the tongue, how the tongue can be set on fire by hell. Uh, You can have words that are spoken to bless God and to curse people, and that should not happen. We've got to get our hearts in alignment. We have to get our hearts renewed by the deposit of God's word in our hearts, which, by the way, is what we're doing. Aren't you glad? And uh, how we've got to receive wisdom from above and not wisdom from this earth, because wisdom from this earth is tied to the demonic. But wisdom that's from above is pure and gentle and gracious and willing to yield and such. And so that's where we're picking it up now in chapter four. And here's what it says. James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? Now watch this. He said, where do wars and fights come from among you. Now think about this. He's talking really to believers, Jewish believers, but he's saying, where where are the wars and fights coming from? Well, we can really take this farther out, but let's just keep it with among us, say in a family or say in a church family. Where do wars and fights come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You want certain things. You want certain things for yourself. Uh, Think about in a family. Hey, why did you eat that? That was mine. Uh, While well, I was in the refrigerator. Yeah, yeah, but that was mine. See, you, you wanted some more pleasure by having the leftovers and such, and you got angry at somebody else for taking it. And so where do the wars and fights come from? Inside of each of us, there is a war raging inside where I, I want this. I want to eat. I want to do what I want to do. I want to relax. I want things to be clean or whatever. And he's saying those desires cause the wars and fights because I've got desires that center around me and you've got desires that center around you. And that's what causes conflict. So James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members, talking about in your body, in your mind, in your in your physical body, your stomach that wants to be fed, etc.? Verse two, you lust and do not have. In other words, you have this desire, these lusts and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Now, is he literally saying that people in the body of Christ are going around and murdering? He's saying not not necessarily, but he's saying some of the actions that you're taking are so careless about people that you would even make decisions that would end up with people dying. For example, say there's a food distribution and you exclude certain people because, well, you kind of don't like those people. Those people hurt your feelings or did something wrong to your family member in the past. And so you're not going to give them food and say somebody even ends up dying because you're making this decision based on your flesh, based on your comfort, based on something that would bring pleasure to you. In other words, not helping those people. See, he's saying they have repercussions. They have ripple effects of how we act based on our own pleasures that happen inside of us and desires and and decisions that happen. 
So notice this, you murder and covet, you cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So this is very interesting because Jesus very clearly in Matthew 7, he said, Matthew 7 verse 7, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. See, James is saying, look, your flesh does want things, but instead of warring and fighting, you should be asking God. You should be praying. Do you remember what Philippians 4, 6 says? Be anxious, worried about nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. See, so we should, if we have these cravings or we have these things inside, sometimes you just need to tell your flesh no, because many cravings are not uh, not acceptable. They're not right. They're wrong. They're sin. For example, if you're a married person and, and you have a, a, a liking or an attraction to somebody else, well, you just tell yourself, stop. No, your spouse is the person for you, period. That is your joy. That is your life. That is your privilege, your gift from God. And you just have to gear yourself to that and say, this is the right thing to do. And this is what I'm going to do. And you say no. But other things we desire, like say you desire a promotion on your job or you desire uh, an increase of finances so that you can get a home or an adequate home or a car that would not break down every other month. Well, those things are not wrong things to desire. However, you should bring those to the Lord instead of trying to figure out how to way to elbow somebody else out so that you can get what you need. And he said, you have not because you asked not. And then he turns around and says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, sometimes we're asking God for things that are not right. You're asking God for things that are out of bounds. Instead of asking for things that are appropriate and right and the will of God for your life, you're asking for things that are evil. Amiss uh, is also translated evil. Something that it's amiss and you're missing the mark. See, and so he said, you need to ask for the right things. Now, this brings us uh, to uh, an insight that John brings out in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, where he says this. He says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, Jesus, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. So John says, yeah, you need to ask, but you need to ask according to his will. Well, how do we know what the will of God is? Well, here's one big way we can know God's word, God's word. God spoke in his word what his will is. So that's why we know adultery is not his will. Murder is not his will. Uh, Self-promotion is not his will. See, there's so many things, sins, they're not his will, but yet there are things that are his will. And if we'll ask according to his will, he hears us. And John says, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions. James is coming right in alignment with that and saying it a little differently. James is saying, look, you have not because you, you ask not. You, you don't have because you're not asking. Ask God. God will help you. He said, and some of you ask, but you're not receiving it because you're not asking for the right things. You're asking for something that is for yourself. 
uh, that that's for your own pleasure, but in a way that is not for everybody to enjoy. Now, somebody says, am I not allowed to ask something for myself? No, but he's saying you're not allowed to ask something for yourself that is outside of the boundaries of God's will for your life. So this is why the more you learn from the word of God, the more you learn what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. See, and so new believers, they don't know any better. And so they're asking for things they didn't even realize that's out of bounds. But the more you know, the more you realize, oh, no, I need to be cinching up my prayer so that I'm asking God to do things that are in his will for my life. Why would God want to do something for you to take you out of his will? He doesn't. He loves you too much to do that. Okay, so uh, notice this. Uh, You ask and don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses. Uh, boy, just to come out with that shows right there that many people are asking for things that are adultery and they're hoping that God would accommodate that. He will not. <laughs> he will absolutely not. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? See, this is the way the world acts, but this is not the way that we should act in the body of Christ. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Well, I don't want that, and you shouldn't either. Or do you think, verse 5 goes on to say, that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. See, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit's in you, and that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you is yearning for you as a whole person to live out the will of God and to do right and righteously before the Lord. So the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. And he's quoting from the Old Testament. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this is going to be repeated in another place in, uh, I believe, Peter quotes this. But listen to this. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I'll come back to that. I want to sit on this for just a moment. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I want you to catch something. It doesn't say that God ignores the proud. No, that's passive. This says God resists the proud. God actively resists pride. God actively resists pride. So when you begin to think, I got this, I'm going to do my thing, and you begin to walk in pride, then you need to know you're going to experience resistance, and you should expect that that resistance is coming directly from the Lord. God resists the proud, but notice this, but gives grace What is grace? Undeserved (laughs) favor, help, support to the humble. See, if you'll humble yourself, then God will give you support. But if you're prideful and you're acting like, I don't need to follow God's ways. I don't need to wait for God. I'm going to do my thing. Well, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Oh, Lord, may we be humble before you. May we not be prideful and arrogant. May we humble ourselves before you. So notice this, verse 7, Therefore, because that's true, 
James says, therefore, submit to God. Submit to God. See, what is that? Humility. Submit. So like a submarine, I'm coming under God and his will for my life. Therefore, submit to God. And then resist the devil and he will flee from you. In other words, your prayers will be answered if you'll come under God's will, if you'll humble yourself under the Lord, submit to him, then you can resist the devil and the devil will flee from you. Your authority in Jesus' name will work. The prayers will begin to work the right way because you're in alignment with God and not out here just thinking anything you quack, you know, anything you say, just quoting scripture or whatever, and in Jesus' name, it's going to come to pass, but you're not submitted under the will of God. But if you'll submit under his will, prayers will start coming to pass. <laughs> These things are real, folks. These are not just words that you can just speak and they just work. No, you have to have the spiritual ducks in a row. But when you get it in a row, James is telling us, hey, when you get this in a row, the devil himself will flee from you. When you submit to God and then you speak the right words and boy, even the devil will flee. Verse eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Just that statement, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. In other words, God wants to be close. He's waiting on you to come close to him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your, your hearts, you double-minded. Notice double-mindedness, what we hit in chapter 1 of James, is something that needs to be cleansed out of your heart. We need to be single-minded, under the will of God, speaking and believing God's word as truth. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. In other words, whatever you're actively doing wrong, clean that up. Stop it. Purify your hearts, whatever you're thinking that's wrong, incongruent with God's word. Clean that up. Lament and mourn, verse 9, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, somebody might say, well, Paul told us to rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, but when there's sin, when there is unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your life, then he said, you need to first stop and humble yourself before the Lord. And you need to weep and you need to mourn. You need to repent before God and let God know that you feel bad about that. Even if your emotions are not caught up with it, just hearing this, if there's some of this going on in your life, come before the Lord. We get done with this segment, kneel down before the Lord and repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry, I'm not going to act cocky and arrogant and just laugh it off like it's no big deal, Lord. It's a big deal. I need to be right with you. I need my life to be right. I need my heart and my mind to be right with you. So it says, uh, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and what will he do? He will lift you up. See, don't lift yourself up. You humble yourself before the Lord. Let the Lord lift you up. Why? Because you're speaking truth about things that are wrong, and you need to take responsibility and do that. And if you'll do it right, the Lord will lift you up. Verse 12. Uh, verse 
Verse 11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Do not speak evil of one another. Do not speak evil of one another. That's so difficult for many of us. But the Bible says don't. Don't speak evil of one another. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? So we have to be so careful to judge, not to judge, to not criticize and put people down, whether it's to their face or behind their backs. So he goes on to say in verse 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So before I read the last verse, let's just stop and sit on that for a moment here. He's saying, you know, it's even arrogance to say, hey, tomorrow and this next year, we're going to do this and that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to make a profit. We're going to have this outcome and that outcome. Well, there's one thing to speak faith in God's promises coming to pass and God bringing something to pass. That's one thing. But to be arrogant and to say, oh, yeah, because oh, I, I know what to do. And yeah, we have a contact. We're going to be doing this and that. Yeah, we're experienced. He said, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't have any idea what's going to go on in this world. He said, no, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. And so you're letting people know, hey, God ultimately is in charge. And if the Lord wills, we will do that. And so I think this is a good point of humility where we need to keep this on our tongues if the Lord wills. Now, that doesn't mean that we take a promise of God and we doubt the promise by saying, well, if the Lord wills, he'll heal me. That'd be like saying, well, I've confessed Jesus as Lord and I'm walking and following his word. And if the Lord wills, he'll save me. No, we shouldn't say if the Lord wills because he promised it. It would be doubting him and his faithfulness to say if the Lord wills in that. But he's saying, but future things that you really don't know, I'm going to do this or that or the other. Well, those promises are not found in the Bible. Yeah, God promised to provide for you, but he didn't promise to make this, that, and the other happen. You're presuming those things. See, so James is not doubting promises from God, but the way that we speak about the future can become uh, overstated, arrogant, presumptive. And he's saying, we should say, look, we know God's going to provide for us because he promised in his word, and my God shall supply all of your need to open the windows of heaven above tithers and such. So I know God's going to do that. And uh, we're praying that as we do this and that, that the Lord will open the door and, and be able to bring these things to pass. But it, if the Lord wills, then those things will come to pass. But we can stand strong on the fact that he is going to provide for us. See the difference? One is a promise from God in his word, and we should not be double-minded about God keeping his promise. The other is us being presumption, uh, presumptive about how it's all going to play out, and we're going to do this or that based on our 
action. So let me finish up this last verse. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That's a powerful little verse that I refer to again and again. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. What does that say? That says, if you didn't know to do good, well, and you didn't do it, like for example, say there was somebody that lived on your street and they were dying of starvation and you didn't know it. And the next thing you hear is they died. They died of starvation. Well, you didn't give them food, but it wasn't sin that you didn't give them food because you didn't even know. But if you knew that they were dying of starvation and you knew that you should go and provide some food from your own pantry, from your own resources, and you didn't do it, now it's sin because you knew that you should have done it. See, so this helps us to understand that there are many things that we probably should do. But to him who knows to to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. So once we're in the light, once we have the, uh, the knowledge of what to do, now if we don't do it, that is sin. That's just a great clarifying point. Well, another great chapter. We've got one more powerful chapter, the, the grand finale of the book of James. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.